You're listening to UNS Talks, a podcast by the international architecture and design firm UN Studio, hosted today by me, Emma Christick. In this episode, we'll be going behind the scenes of the Doha Metro in Qatar and exploring how one crucial design tool ensured all 37 of its stations maintained a unified identity. This element was the branding manual, which we'll find out more about shortly. But first, I'll give you a little bit of background about the project. So, the Doha Metro was officially opened by Qatar Rail on May 8, 2019, and is one of the most advanced and fastest driverless metro systems in the world. It was built in just seven years and includes 37 stations and three lines. UN Studio's role in the project goes back to 2012, when Qatar Rail enlisted our team to help create the concept design and branding manual that would see the stations designed and created in such a short time. To tell the story, I'm joined by Ben Van Berkel, UN Studio's founder and principal architect, as well as Ayan Dingster, a director and senior architect, and Marianti Tatari, an associate director and senior architect. So let's dig straight in. Arian, do you want to explain first what the concept that UN Studio came up with was? Yeah, what we try to do with this design concept, the winning one, is to kind of tie in with, with kind of building an identity uh, for, for not only Qatar, but for the whole kind of Middle Eastern region, something that people can connect to. So we started working on the notion of what stations needed to be. And a very important concept in that was the notion of the Caravanserai, which was the kind of meeting points where people on the caravans, it's nomadic tribes in the region, uh, would come together. Uh, but it was also a place of, of, of learning, a place of staying. And, and, and we saw the stations always as this kind of gathering place. And that kind of, we connected to kind of notion of a kind of reinterpretation of Islamic architecture. A very important element in that architecture is the um, Uji arc, which is a kind of arc-like shape that they use a lot in their, in their mosque, in the representation. And we, we took that as the kind of basis of the concept and started building spaces from that, both underground, above ground, up to the detail level of the, of the stations. You also tapped into the metaphor of an oyster, right? Can you tell us how you included that? The metaphor of the oyster became very important in how to kind of explain also to the Qataris the concept of the station. So we said on the outside uh, the, the oyster shell kind of perfectly blend in the city, but with their recognizable shape people would recognize them as metro station. And then like with the oyster, the inside we wanted to make very inviting and, and, and rich. In, in, yeah. And that's why we came up with this kind of pearlescent glaze on the, on the tiles to kind of mimic the notion of the kind of shiny oyster shell on, on the inside, but also to really draw people inside the station to move through that entrance door and make it this kind of very inviting and open system that, that in its shapes and materiality guides people down in the kind of underground world, which typically the metro stations are. A very important and unique part of this project was the creation of the branding manual. Marianti, can you explain what exactly it is and why you used it? Um, yeah, certainly. So we had to um, create a tool that uh, will allow all these engineers and architects that worked on the project uh, to trans translate our ideas and our concepts into the reality. So uh, what we did actually, um, there are three parts of the branding manual. The first one had to do more with layout and logistics. Uh, the second part was the main part, let's say, which had to do with uh, everything that uh, is public in a station, everything where people move. 
And the third part was actually the integration of these stations uh, within uh, the uh, Doha uh, urban fabric and think beyond, let's say, the building or the, what we call the shelter, the entrance, uh, towards uh, how this will affect uh, the area. So it was a very uh, thorough exploration of all these elements. So for example, just to be a bit more uh, concrete, we started uh, with the design principles, uh, the vaulted spaces, caravanserai, the materiality of the oyster, and then uh, we translated that into scales of identity. It has to do actually uh, with the perception of, of a metro network. You don't get the chance to design a full network of a city. So we actually created a kind of a lens, uh, what we saw the scales of identity from the metro to the uh, line to the station identity. And through that, uh, we started actually um, synthesizing the image of how it should look like. And this was, let's say, a quality guide for ourselves, but also for the people that worked further on, on based on our manual. So I, I think it's a document of 2,230 pages. <laughs> so it is a very thorough um, uh, document that actually also uh, allowed uh, for the creation of all these stations. And how important did this document become for the project? Uh, essential. I think without this document we could have never uh, been able to be quick, to be systematic and to generate an, not only a modular and systematic strategy of building this uh, whole network in, in a coherent uh, manner, but we were also able to identify with this uh, a quality of a design what could fit to all the requirements, you know, because that the, the brief was clear. We, we had to deal with underground stations, upper ground stations and cross stations, uh, for instance, and they needed to have their own uh, identity, of course. But a modular system like this is, I would say, quite unique to work with in, you know, I would say, in architecture in general. So if this manual is sort of guiding the design and construction of the stations, how extensive in terms of detail are we talking? I think we, we can see the branding manual for many components almost like a formula. We basically, and, and sometimes there are even literally formulas in the branding manual describing how a curve would work. So independent if the space would be high or would be wide, we would secure the aesthetics and the recognizability because we would describe the formula of that kind of arching curve. And that made it very translatable. So we designed that manual for them so they could bring these manuals to their contractors who would hire architects to do the kind of specific interpretation and bringing the elements together. How do you go about putting a document like this together? It actually was always very uh, interesting that you had to design it and then dismantle it in the computer and then put it together again to see what would be yeah, the different variations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then actually a, a very a truly, truly, truly parametric project. So there was a lot of uh, future proofing in our manual because we had to actually always put together an image and then break it down and making it to modules or parts to be used. And that is actually something that it needs the economy of scale, that you need a project that repeats to be able to actually manage and actually uh, also gain from that document. In theory, can a branding manual be applied then to any project to speed up the process? Uh, no, not really, because we talk here about unique elements who are, of course, repeatable, but they could be mirrored, they could be reorganized, 
in such a way that it is not comparable to a standard traditional uh, Meccano system. It was not so yeah, simple as, as it sounds. It, it were unique elements uh, we, we worked with. And who could be repeated, but who could be repeated in the way how you stacked them or you, you elongated them uh, to a particular uh, uh, yeah, quality of scale, we uh, liked it. And, and what Ben just explained is a very important element is that it's not a branding man manual where you can just lift out a model and you can parachute it into a certain area of the city. Elements are so fine-grained that you can always reconfigure them to kind of fit in the city fabric on that specific spot in the best way possible to tie in seamlessly with the network. And I think that's the unique part of what we did in this branding manual, that we didn't make kind of different stations or different shelters, but we made a system to make that shelter or that station adapt to a specific location in the city. But can I add to something to, to this? Is that what, what I liked the most is that we, in the end, were able to make a document whereby we knew that it would communicate well to all the other parties. And that was maybe the key because don't forget so many other architects worked on the project the project because you know we had many local architects and international architects helping us and Catarail to uh, bring this project further and and don't forget the amount of contractors who worked on this project is unbelievable so to make a document what is readable understandable and that you would easily find the way how you need to had to bring the elements together on each type of station for each different line was highly essential that w would work as a, not only as a manifesto for design but really as a system that could be followed. With this project you were helping create a metro network from complete scratch. It was a transport system that Doha had never had before. How do you approach such a complex project? The Big question I think that we got confronted with in, in, in thinking about a metro network from scratch is first of all the time period where typically you know if we look at kind of Western European society where railways are there for 150 years and, and people have been building standard on standard, they have been learning, improving, uh, of course there have been kind of style changes in that process as well. And, and right now we were confronted with doing everything at once. And that also gave an enormous opportunity to be very holistic in the design because it was not just about designing the stations, but it was also designing the superstructures of, of the kind of elevated metro tracks connecting the above ground station. It was about designing the interior spaces. It was designing how you would fit in retail. So we were really designing from the large infrastructural bridge elements up to the carpet in the, in the prayer rooms in these, these stations. Qatar is also such a car city, which of course makes sense because of the very hot climate, so people don't necessarily want to be outside walking or cycling. But how did you factor this element into the concept to try to promote public transport among the city's residents? Well, this was actually one of the first questions we, we got. So when we got approached by Qatarail for, let's say, the interview phase, when they were selecting the architects to, to run in the competition, uh, if, if it was not the first question, it was the second one where they asked, so can, how can you help Qatar for people stepping out of their car and in, in, in using the metro system and, and, and with the kind of climate constraints that we have. For us it meant that we had to design stations in a way that they're very seamless in the experience. So one thing of course is the, the fine grain level of the network. So if you have lots of stations which, which Qatar has planned for and also has implemented, typically the walking distances are, are not too far. 
but we're trying to move our car culture into kind of public transportation culture, and that also needs time. That's why this, this kind of urban embedding was so important, that, that also the spaces around the station, they provide shade, they're a pleasant place to, to be and to meet people, so that the kind of boundary blurs in, in the kind of crossover from, let's say, city towards metro station. But climate is, is always a, a challenge there, especially for people that are used to step into, into an air-conditioned car and not use the public space. And I think uh, just to add to Arian's comment, is it's more about that we took also into consideration habits, habits of people moving in space. That was actually a very big part of how uh, the spaces, also the entrances were conceived. But also uh, culture in terms of the attention to detail, handcraft, patterns. We studied a lot of uh, different materialities. So uh, there was really a lot of attention to the spatial experience and also the tactility and the craftsmanship. Yeah, and this is also a thing that we really took from the Islamic history in, in, in architecture and, and art, which of course never depicts humans or, or nature, so that's why the patterns are always quite geometric. But there's a, a strong, let's say, artisan skill set. So I think that that tactile level of what Marianti just explained was very important to tie it in with how people connect to their culture, because we're not just talking about the culture of Qatar, we're talking about a kind of Islamic world culture and what is kind of recognizable. Ben, you've designed a lot of complex infrastructure projects over your career. Arnhem Central Station is the one that immediately pops to my mind, but there have been bridges, airports, cable cars, Hyperloop hubs, among many others. How does the Doha Metro compare to them? Yeah, it's one of the biggest projects we ever worked on. I mean, uh, related to infrastructure projects because it's so huge in the sense of uh, not thinking only of the station, but of the whole system in the city as a network organization. It's, it's a kind of metropolitan mm. uh, strategy to, to make a city more metropolitan and attractive as a metropole. But of course, I mean, we have done large scale infrastructural projects from the Erasmus Bridge to the Arnhem train station. But, but this was on an other scalar intensity, I would like to say, and totally different way of working than we had uh, ever done before. So we learned a lot from this. Looking back at this project, what are the key takeaways you got from it? We were able, luckily enough, to make a highly attractive uh, public uh, series of spaces, in a way, where people could meet. I think that's one of the most fantastic aspects of the project, that we were able to give uh, a whole new life to the city. Yeah, uh, that this becomes a very public, important public uh, uh, series of spaces, I think, is one of the most fantastic aspects of the project. Yeah, it's more about kind of the, the spatial experience. I think the, the most important part on what we learned is that it has to work really well so that the experience matters because if it doesn't work to its core like people knowing where to go uh, then uh, if it looks good it doesn't really make a difference no. right it, it has to work very well and i think this is what we really got out of this project and arian you just wanted to add something I think the kind of key thing that, that I think we learned over the years is, is how we want that, that travel experience to work. And what we see is that travel experience needs to be as natural and intuitive as possible. In the Arnhem station, we do that a lot by using uh, daylight elements. What Ben also just mentioned with the metro station, we, we use, let's say, the architectural elements, like the arcs that connect people over different levels, but also the use of light, which is very subtle sometimes, like in, in the, the handrails of the, the escalator systems, but sometimes also really apparent 
with the light lines that we introduced in the kind of vaulted spaces that guide people down over the different levels. So it's always this kind of notion of space that guides you and light that, that guides you. And I think these are the kind of values that we try to apply in every design project, either being a metro station or a large building structure, that this kind of sense of orientation and, and, and architecture guiding people. And it, it's not a formal thing. It's like really the kind of basic principles that we bring and values that we bring into our designs. That's all for today's podcast. To sign off, be sure to check out how the Doha Metro stations look at unstudio.com, where you can also explore more of our infrastructure projects. And before we go, just a reminder to also like and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast provider. See you next time.